Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, The Need for Revival. All right, well, if, we, if you're new, um, we're in the middle of a study of Christ's seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, way back in AD 95. The Lord personally dictated these seven letters to these seven churches. So far, we've read what Jesus said to four of the churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. And as we read those letters in the last four or so weeks, we saw that the church of Ephesus had left their first love. And so they were in desperate need of passion. And then the church of Smyrna was under intense persecution, and so they needed hope. The church of Pergamum had adopted some impure doctrine and some impure practices. And so they needed purity. And then last week, we saw the church of Thyatira well, at least the faithful minority in the church of Thyatira, they were under this heavy load, this heavy burden uh, caused by difficulty in their own local church from a woman preacher that have got, gotten, that, a woman preacher who had gotten way off base and was teaching all kind of heresy. And so the Lord's admonition to the faithful in the church of Thyatira was, you guys need to endure. Today, we get to the fifth letter, Christ's letter to the church of Sardis, and we're gonna see that the need in Sardis was revival, revival. And it was a serious issue. And so, God forbid it ever happened, but if if somebody in the middle of one of our services collapsed, you need to know that we have a team of trained men and women who would take care of that situation lickety-split. I mean, God forbid, if somebody were ever to collapse to the floor, our safety team would waste no time to help that person, and if needed, to revive that person. Well, the church of Sardis had collapsed, and the Lord Jesus Christ wasted no time in his letter to address that serious issue. The church of Sardis had collapsed and the great physician went to that church and he he put his hand around their neck and he couldn't feel any pulse. And so lickety split right away in the letter, Jesus started to address that problem. He started to give them spiritual CPR so that they could experience revival. And so he says in the first part of his letter, chapter three, verse one, and to the angel or the messenger of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I'm not gonna take time to explain all that again because we already covered it in depth in chapter one. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are what? Dead. And so the people who lived in Sardis, when they looked at the church people there in the church of Sardis, the people looked like they were alive. (laughs) They had a name, they had a reputation that they were alive, but they were actually dead. Did you guys know that the closest stars to the earth are actually trillions with a T of miles away? 
That means that if a star ever exploded, we call it a supernova, if a star ever exploded, we know that it would take a long time for us to find out on Earth. It would take a long time for the light from that star to shine those trillions of miles so that we could actually see it on Earth. The light from the star would continue to shine even though the star was dead. The church in Sardis was like a supernova. At some point they died, but because of the reputation of who they once were, their light continued to shine. It looked like they were alive, but they were actually dead. And by the way, you can read some awesome articles about astronomy and other great subjects from a creationist point of view at the website AnswersInGenesis.org. And so the church of Sardis, like a, a supernova, or put another way, the church of Sardis was like the animals at the Museum of Natural History. Anybody ever been to the Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C.? Okay, and so when you looked at the members of the church of Sardis, it looked like these animals, like they were alive. They seemed alive. They were actually dead. They're sitting in church, but they were actually dead. Or, said another way, the church of Sardis was like a funeral home. It was filled with cold and lifeless corpses that were not accomplishing anything for, this, for the kingdom of God at all. And so, man, Jesus is calling this church with no pulse to revival. Speaking about caskets, there's a story about a small church in a small town, and the church was getting smaller. It was dying. And so the the leaders in the denomination to which the church belonged thought, man, before that church dies, we ought to send a young, vibrant preacher to try to revive that church. And so that's what they did. They picked this young, vibrant preacher and they sent him to that small town to be pastor of that small church. And the young preacher was so excited, he had all these high expectations of what was gonna happen in the church. But soon he was discouraged. You see, for months, he did everything he could think of to try to bring revival to the church. And so he prayed night and day. He studied the word of God like he had never studied it before. Not only that, but he preached passionate sermons. He spent hours ministering to the people, but the people remained unmoved. And so they were content to just leave things the way they've always been, cold, lifeless, and dead. And so this young pastor was like, what do I have to lose? And so he was gonna do something radical to get all their attention. And so one Sunday morning, he stood up before this small congregation and he said, uh, church family, I'm gonna be doing a funeral this afternoon right here in the church for somebody you all know. But I'm not gonna give the name of the person until the actual funeral. Come back at two o'clock today. And so sure enough, there's a stir in town. The church is packed out at two o'clock. Everybody looks up. They see a closed casket, there's some music, there's some prayer, and then all of a sudden the pastor goes up and he opens the casket. He tells everybody, now is the time to pay your last respects. Everybody awkwardly forms a line, and one by one they approach the casket and they were shocked at what they saw inside. You see, in the casket was a mirror. And when they looked in that casket, the message was crystal clear. 
I'm dead. <laughs> and I am in desperate need of revival. He got their attention. Vance Havner, the 20th century preacher who, by the way, preached God's word faithfully for over 70 years. Those are the real heroes, by the way. Vance Havner uh, taught that ministries often go through four stages. Starts with a man, then it goes to a movement. At some point, it turns into a machine, and then finally, it becomes a monument. And so whenever God is ready to, to do something, what does God do? He always, all through history, he picks a man. He calls a man, he equips a man, he fills that man with his Holy Spirit. And because of the anointing of God, things began to happen in the ministry of that man. And by the way, the amazing results that occur have very little to do with the man and everything to do with the Holy Spirit. Because Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by man's might nor by man's power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so because of the anointing of the spirit, the ministry continues to grow and grow, and every, all these lives are being changed, and the man, well, the ministry of the man becomes a movement, a genuine movement of God. And man, so many people are touched. So many people are changed. So many marriages are saved. So many families are strengthened. It's just glorious. But here's the thing. It's glorious when you look at it, but behind the scenes, it's, it's messy and it's unorganized. Because what happened is that God's spirit moved and the, the thing grew real big and there wasn't time to really put a structure in place. There wasn't time to really organize everything. And so here's the mistake so many, that's, that's been made so many times in the past. Because organization is needed, the experts are called in. And the experts come in with all their rules and all their regulations and all their policies to try to bring structure to this big old movement. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with organization. But when a movement becomes large, right, and polished and sophisticated, what often happens is that leaders in that movement they began to rely, now if you're with me, see, say amen here. Listen, the leaders in that movement began to rely on their expertise instead of the power of God. They began to rely on policies rather than prayer. They began to rely on a manual instead of Emmanuel. And when that happens, like Elvis, the Holy Spirit leaves the building. And the movement becomes a machine. Now, every well-oiled machine can last a really long time. And churches that are well-oiled, man, they can go on and on and on and on. And it seems like they're so alive, but actually they're dead. Why are they dead? Because the Holy Spirit is no longer moving in the church. The Holy Spirit is no longer moving in the ministry. And so because God is no longer moving in the present, what do people tend to do? Here's what, it, what I've seen as I've studied revivals in the past, going back hundreds of years. If God is not moving in the present, here's what people always do. They talk a lot about how God moved in the past. Oh man, remember the glory days. Remember way back when? 
You remember when so-and-so, by the way, so-and-so's been dead for a long time. You remember when all those people came to Christ? They've all gone home to be with the Lord a long time ago. And see, what happens is that the conversation is dominated about what God did in the past instead of an expectancy and an excitement about what he wants to do in the future, and then the machine becomes a monument. What's a monument? Quoting from the dictionary, it's a stature or structure erected near a grave to memorialize the dead. And so because the man becomes a movement, but they rely on the arm of the flesh instead of the arm of the spirit, and Paul's yelling, shouting from over two millennium. Paul's saying, Galatians 3.3, 3, are you so foolish? Have you begun in the spirit? Are you trying to be made perfect in the flesh? What are you doing? But they don't listen to the counsel of Paul, so the movement becomes a machine, then it becomes a monument, and then eventually the whole thing dies. What are 10 indicators of a dead church? So I spent some time in prayer in my study this week, and I came up with these 10. Number one, there's more talk about what God did in the past than what he will do in the future. We covered that. Number two, there's more focus on organization than prayer. So the church kind of becomes like a corporation, more like an organization than an organism. Number three, there's more emphasis on numbers than discipleship. So the main thing of the week, how many people came? Wow, that's great. Well, the, the real question is, which is more important, how many people are being discipled? How many people are growing in the Lord? Right, look, look at number four. Um, there's more attention on entertainment than the presence of God. This happens a lot in churches. And by the way, I'm all for lights, I'm all for haze, I'm all for jamming music, I love it. I listen to it in my car, I listen to it at home. I love all of that. I'm so grateful uh, for Pastor Will and for, for Aaron and the team because their hearts are that you guys would come in here and experience the presence of the Lord. May that never, ever change in this church. But in some churches, it does become a show and it becomes entertainment and that becomes the main thing. Number five, making people comfortable is a higher priority than calling them to repentance. As long as I'm your pastor, um, you don't have to worry about that. Number six, there's a lot of unresolved conflict, gossip, and backbiting. So how can the Holy Spirit move in that? Number seven, man-made rules are on the same level as the word of God. And that's part of my background. In some churches, you know, um, man's rules become the same level as God's word. It's called legalism. And it causes death. Number eight, there's no zeal for evangelism or church planning or missions. And I, I'm so excited about the future because I want to see God raise up young men in this church, the men who can be equipped, men who can be filled, and men that we can send out all over Florida, all over the United States, all over the world to plant other Bible teaching, Christ honoring churches. Okay, so what, what, what am I doing right there? I'm casting vision for all of you guys to understand what we wanna do in the future. Thank you, that 10 people just clapped, right? Do you guys wanna send hundreds of men in the next 20, 30 years out to plant 
local churches and missions all across the world, yes or no? Do you wanna do that? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome, right? Pray about it. Pray that God would do that. It's not about building some kind of kingdom here. It's about reaching the nations. Number nine, there's an unwillingness to change methods to stay relevant to the culture. And so what happens in some churches, the methods become sacred cows. And the methods are put on the same level as the message. Here's what you need to know. The message never changes, but methods gotta change because our culture is changing. That's why we have the kind of music that we have. That's why we all, you know, don't come in three-piece suits. That's on every pastor that's on staff. If you wanna wear a three-piece suit, praise the Lord. We're not gonna do that. There's nothing in the Bible that says to do that. The Bible says man looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. We're absolutely gonna change our methods. We're gonna keep changing our methods to keep up with the culture so we can be relevant to the culture, absolutely. But what you need to know, my promise to you as your pastor, is that the message will never change. Always be the same message. Always. And then finally, number 10, uh, the teaching of God's word has been replaced by superficial messages that address felt needs. Okay, so if the church is characterized by these things, it's either dying or it's already dead. And so Jesus, he didn't want the church of Sardis to die, and so what does a great physician do? He gives them a prescription for spiritual life, a prescription for revival. And so let's look at it again, starting in verse one. And to the angel, the messenger in the church of Sardis, write, the words of him who has the, look at it, seven spirits of God. So number one, if you're taking notes, if you want revival, you gotta emulate Christ and be filled with the spirit. So if you're with us in chapter one, you remember we went in depth, the seven spirits, um, the, the seven spirits, the one who has the seven spirits, what is that talking about? Isaiah 11:2. it's talking about a prophecy of the Messiah, he's gonna have the fullness, because the word seven is, means perfection, completion, and fullness, and so Jesus had the fullness of the Holy Spirit when he ministered on earth. And so, yes, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man, and as a man, he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why when he went to John the Baptist, and we'll be there in about a week, uh, just north of the Dead Sea at the Jordan River, and he was baptized by John the Baptist as Jesus was coming up out of the water. By the way, John didn't sprinkle him. Just thought I'd throw that in. But anyway, as Jesus is coming up out of the water, who descended upon Jesus? The, the Holy Spirit. And he comes up out of the water, the Son of God. And the Spirit of God, like a dove, comes upon him, and then the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. A beautiful picture of one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right there. But my point here is that Jesus, as a man, needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit came upon, in the Greek it's epi, epi, upon him. It's not talking about indwelling. It's talking about filling. Filling to overflowing. And because Jesus had the fullness of the Holy Spirit, his ministry changed the world forever. Well, guess what? He wants our ministries to have the fullness of the Spirit. And that's why he said to the disciples in Acts 1-8, 
you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, here's that word, E-P-I, epi, upon you. He's talking to Christians who already have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And he's saying there's another experience. It's the epi, it's the filling, it's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way you're gonna have power. And so Terry, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power on high. Somebody asked D.L. Moody one time, why are you always praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit? D.L. Moody said, that's simple, because I leak, right? <laughs> now, that's not too far off theologically, because Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if you want revival, if I want revival, man, we gotta emulate Christ. We gotta pray for the filling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit of God. That's when ministries become dynamic. But then number two, if you want revival, strengthen and finish your service. Look at, um, look at verse two. He says, wake up. <laughs> In other words, I want you to have revival here. Well, well how? Here's how. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And so I love the way the NIV um, translates verse two of Revelation three. Listen to this. Jesus says to the church of Sardis, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds or your service unfinished in the sight of my God. In other words, Church of Sardis, you need to strengthen your service to me. Church of Sardis, you need to finish your service to me. The word strengthen in the Greek simply means to make stable. I'll illustrate it this way. Remember the last time that you moved from one house to another? And there you are, you're packing the U-Haul truck. What's the mistake that you never make? Or at least some of us never make. You're not supposed to put the heavy boxes on top of the light boxes, right? Because everybody knows when you put a heavy box on top of a light box, it crushes the light box. And so what do you have to do? You have to put the heavy box on the bottom, and so that way the stack is stable. Now listen, one of my most consistent prayers for this local church is, Lord, please increase and strengthen the core group of this church. You say, who's the core group? People who are connecting, serving, growing, and giving. That's who the core group is. It's not just people who come once a month and sit, soak, and sour. They come and take, 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 but never give anything. That's not the core group. The core group are people who connect. That means they connect on Sunday morning and then in a group environment during the week. And then they serve, thank God, for all the people in blue shirts and all these other color shirts and orange shirts who are here before I even get here, who are serving the Lord every Sunday tirelessly. Can we just right now put our hands together and thank all these people? <laughs> Praise God for them, right? People who connect, people who serve, people who grow. They their own individual life. They love Jesus so much that they spend time with him every single day in his word, in prayer, in worship. They're growing. And people who give, 
That means that, man, God has blessed me, and I realize that I need to put him first in my finances, and so I'm giving a portion back to his work. Now, when I pray that the Lord would strengthen the core group of our church, basically I'm asking him to strengthen the bottom box of our church. Because when the bottom box is strong, there's no limit to how many other boxes you can put on top. And when the core group of this church is strong, there's no limit to how many people on the Treasure Coast that we can reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, strengthen your service. Listen, some of you are not serving. Listen to the Lord. Strengthen your service. Finish your service. I've called you to do something. And so pick a local church. Maybe it's Calvary PSL. Maybe it's Christ Fellowship. Maybe it's Westside Baptist. Maybe it's Sunlight. Maybe it's another church. Pick a church. Stop going from church to church to church. Pick a church. I have a local church for you. Get in there, connect, serve, grow, and give. Become part of the bottom box because the Lord says, I want to reach lost people who need, so desperately need me. Is this making sense to you guys? So pick a church. If you want a revival, number three, remember and keep God's word. Look at, look at verse three. He says, remember then what you received and heard, keep it. Everybody say, keep it. Keep it. Keep it. All right, and so what had they received and heard in the church? Okay, this doesn't take much thought or study. What's supposed to be taught in the church? Help me out. The Word of God. Not Reader's Digest. Right? The Word of God. And so what Jesus is saying to them is, remember and keep my word. Now here's the thing, this is AD 95. And so by AD 95, all the New Testament books were already in circulation. They didn't have leather-bound Bibles by then, but, but all of the Gospels, they were in scrolls, all the Gospels, Acts, all the Pauline epistles, Hebrews, James, all of Peter's two epistles, John's three epistles, Jude, Revelation. Um, as soon as uh, he has this a vision of Christ, he sends the scroll to these churches and other churches. All, listen, they're all in circulation. And so not only did they have access to the Old Testament, they also had access to the New Testament. And Jesus says, remember and keep it. Keep it. Keep it. If you want revival, if I want revival in our, in, in our lives... We have to follow James' advice. Be, what's the word? Doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so, man, if we would just read and heed the word of God, we would experience revival in our lives. This is not complicated. You know, I'm not going into a really deep study in the church of Sardis because here's what jumps out of the page from the church of Sardis. It's more about you guys need to do something more than you need to dig deeper. The, church, the letter to the church of Sardis is calling for action. And so the Lord is saying, man, I want you to read my scriptures and I want you to heed my scriptures. Can you guys imagine if the majority of people in the United States of, the, of America read and obeyed the Bible? Can we just dream for a minute together? Just imagine this. 
Imagine if the majority of people in the United States of America actually read the Bible, and nobody's perfect, but they did what the Bible said. What would happen in our nation? Revival. Thank you. Absolutely. Because the first thing that would happen is as you're reading through the Bible, you come under conviction because you know there's no way I've done this, and so I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and you'll turn to Jesus and receive him as your Savior and Lord. And then what will happen? If the majority of people read and did what the Bible said, not only would they receive Christ, then they would begin to grow in their faith. Guess what would happen? Children would actually start honoring their moms and dads. Not only that, employees would start um, obeying their employers. Young people would actually save sex for marriage. What would happen if just that happened in our nation? Married couples would remain faithful to one another no matter how hard it got, and they'd stay true to their vows. You might say, Pastor Mike, I've already blown that. Then, Then stay true to who you're with now. There's always time for repentance, right? What would happen in our nation if the majority of people read and obeyed the word of God? Here's what would happen. Liquor sales would plummet because people would rather be filled with the spirit than get drunk on wine. Yes, it's true. Listen, man, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, no substance can even come close to doing what the Holy Spirit can do inside of you. Not even close. What would happen? The murder rate would plummet. And I want you to imagine with me, right? The Beatles can write a song, imagine there's no heaven, imagine there's no hell. Well, I'm asking you to to imagine the opposite. Imagine if the majority of people in our nation read and obeyed the word of God. What would happen in this nation? I mean, we would be dealing with, with a less amount of crime, right? Illegal drugs, illicit sex, communicable diseases, all that begins to go away because we're reading God's word and heeding God's word. Imagine a nation where the majority of homes where moms and dads love each other and they have kids and they raise their kids in that stable home. What would happen? Listen. Listen, they're pulling out their hair in Washington, D.C., trying to find out what can we do to make this this nation better. Read it and heed it. I guarantee you a lot would become better. This is it. It's simple. It's simple. But see, people would rather ridicule the Bible. People would rather ignore the Bible. People would rather rip the Bible out of public schools. That's why we're building a Christian one across the street. Right? People would rather just say, oh, whatever, no, no, no. And so we will continue to deal with all the social problems that we deal with. And you know who suffers? The children suffer. And Jesus said this. Jesus said it'd be better for a millstone to be cast around your neck and you thrown into the deepest sea than you offend one of these little ones. Before you do something dumb, before you make a wrong choice, Think about the little ones around you who are watching you. Realize that you're, whether you want to be or not, you're an example. And listen, there's nobody who's going to be perfect. 
But we can absolutely turn from our sins and receive Jesus. We can absolutely be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can absolutely read it and heed it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? It can happen here, and it can happen, and it can grow, and it can grow, and it can grow. And yes, my hope is this. Why isn't America, as Don Stewart said two weeks ago, mentioned in Bible prophecy? Word's not there. My hope is that there's such a revival in our country and so many people get saved that when the rapture happens and we're out of here, that we are a, a, a non-player in the end time events. That's my prayer and my hope. That's my prayer and my hope. And so you want revival? Number four, if you're taking notes, repent of how much sin? Oh. Is there any room in the house of your heart that's locked and you won't let Jesus in there? Listen, he won't kick the door down. We're gonna find out in a few weeks at the church of Laodicea, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, then I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Jesus doesn't kick doors down, he's a gentleman. He doesn't mess with our wills. And so I'm asking you right now, just, just do some spiritual inventory Listen, he loves you. He's very patient with you and me. And so don't put the walls up. Why would you put a wall up for the person who loves you so much? Put the wall down. And I'm just asking a question. Is there any room in your heart that's all locked up and you won't allow the Lord access? Okay, you want revival? Open that door to Jesus. Now here's what he's gonna do. He's not gonna go, that's not the Lord. He's gonna say, thank you. I forgive all of it. I cleanse it. I love you. Give me a big hug. Man, I'm glad I have access to the whole house. That's the Lord. And so, if you want revival, if I want revival, we gotta repent of all sin. What is repentance? Metanoia. It means a change of mind. And I agree, that's all it means. But, but, but he, just, just follow me for a second. Repentance means a change of mind, but I guarantee you, every single time, it always leads to a change of direction. Just like true faith always works, James chapter two. Works is not an effort to get to heaven, works is just an evidence of genuine faith. And so what does true repentance look like? Here it is, somebody, you know, whoever, um, they're not filled with the spirit, they're not obeying the, the, the word of God, um, they're not serving the Lord, they're just continuing on in their sin, and then all of a sudden, God does it differently with everybody. God gets their attention, and he changes their mind, and the next thing you know, they're turning around 180, and now all of a sudden, they're not perfect, but they're filled with the Spirit, they're obeying the Lord, they're serving the Lord, they're going in a different direction. See how simple? That's true repentance in the Bible. And so, man, if we want that, we got to confess our sins, and when we do, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. Now, what happens if we don't repent? Please look at verse three again. He says, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. Okay, here it is. If you will not wake up. So, so, so right now, if, if you're looking at the words, if you will not wake up, can you just say amen so I know you're with me here? Okay, check it out. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. 
You see that? And so for some people in the church of Sardis or churches today, they, they just don't know the Lord. They've never been regenerate. They've never been born again. And so they're continuing on their sin. And, and what happens is that at the end of that road, there's a cliff that leads to eternal damnation. Other people in the church of Sardis and churches all over today, they are born again. They're saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. But at some point, they get off track and they begin to go back and do the same things they've always done before. Guess what? The cliff is there. Not the cliff of eternal damnation in hell. God's a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. He's not gonna break his word. But let me tell you something. I've seen Christians who have gone home early. Why? Because the Lord's like trying and trying and trying to reach them and come on, come on, man, please, you know, I'm begging you, turn around. But they just keep persisting in their sin. He's like, okay, if you're not gonna serve me, I'll just take you home. John talks about this in his epistles. Either way, listen, you don't want to on this road. And so the Lord says, I don't wanna come to you like a thief in the night when you least expect it. I wanna be your daddy. I want you to come and sit on my knee. I want to hug you. I want to love you. I want to encourage you. And so look, look, look now at verse four. He says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He's talking about the minority of true, genuine believers whose faith is working in that church. Look at verse five, the one who conquers. Okay, we, we've said this, I think, every single letter, but the word conquers means overcome. So to the one who overcomes. Real quick, everybody look at me. To the one who overcomes. How do we overcome? We try real hard. Nope. I've said it every week. First John 5, 4, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You need to be born again. That's how you overcome, because you can't do it in your strength. You need the strength of the Holy Spirit. And so, the one who overcomes will be clothed thus in what kind of garments? White garments. Revelation 7:14 says the only way you get white garments is through the blood of Jesus. And I will never, everybody say never, never blot his name out of the book of life. Are you kidding me? No way. That's a promise of God. I'll never take your name out of the book of life. Why? Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I'll never take your name out of the book of life. No, just the opposite. He says, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. You see how good, kind, awesome our Lord is? See how patient he is? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so I want us to take some time and respond to the Lord. And so here's, here's the game plan, everybody. The game plan is maybe you're here and you're in one of these three groups, okay? If everybody could just... Hang with me here till the end, okay? Maybe you're here today, and this is the most important part of the service, so please be in prayer. But maybe you're here today, and you're 
in a group that would say, I have no idea where I'm going when I die. To be real and authentic with you, I have no clue. Okay, everybody look at me. So if you're in that group, here's what's happening. You're going down the road that leads to eternal death and damnation. You say, well, how do I turn around? One word, Jesus. Jesus Christ, that's how you turn around. And so know this, that the wages of your sin is death, and Jesus loves you so much, he died. He paid your wage. He paid your penalty on the cross. It is finished. And then he rose again the third day. And so you need to turn around, realize that Jesus is the only way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And you need to receive him as your savior. That's maybe a group that's here today. Or maybe you're here and you're born again. There's no doubt. But you got off track and now all of a sudden you're doing the same things you used to do and, and, and you're going the wrong direction. Listen to the Lord's voice. He's saying, I love you. I want you back. Turn around. Come on back to me. My arms are open wide. And that's what you need to do today. And then there, there may be another group and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, but you're not filled with the Spirit. The Lord wants to fill you to overflowing. And so you, maybe you need that filling. And so here's what we're gonna do. In a moment, Aaron's gonna sing. And as he sings, that's gonna be your cue, if you're in any of those groups, to slip out of your row and come forward to this altar. You say, well, what are people gonna think of me? Listen, this is not a museum for self-righteous people. This is a hospital for sick people. What, what are people gonna think of you? They're gonna think, Man, I'm so glad that person's responding to the Lord. Praise the Lord, what can I do to help? And so you just say, excuse me, and then you come down to this altar. If you're able to kneel, praise the Lord, kneel. I'm not gonna lead anybody in a prayer, I just want you to seek the Lord. And I want, I want you to, to trust that he really wants to wash your sins away with his blood and give you a hug and meet you right here at this altar. One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.